Hello, and welcome to the Four Color Nerds comic podcast, episode 44. I'm Carissa, and I am joined by our other nerds, or some of them, actually. Christina. Hello. And Ryan. Hello. Rory is off at a wedding. Together, we take on the week's comic. Each week, we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, if you haven't figured it out by now, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now, go read this week's books, and then come on back. Each week, one of us picks their favorite book and that's our pick of the week this week i am that nerd this week the pick of the week goes to black monday murders number one our companion song for this week is only rain by bad religion because one i love bad religion in like a fierce way and two the beginning uh lyrics of this song talk about how that we need to be saved by the counter magic arts that is bringing upon doomsday and it totally made me think of what was going on in this book Murders number one, Image Comics. Oh yeah, by the way, I totally stole this from Christina. This was actually her pick for this week. (laughs) She called it a long time ago, actually. I called it dibs like, I don't know what, a month ago? She did, but it wasn't her week to pick. And in homage to her impeccable good taste, I'm stealing it. Given her credit where credit is due, this book, uh, A Story of Human Sacrifice, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Tom Cook, and colors by Michael Garland. Lack of colors. Very sepia and gray tone. And- yeah. yeah. Yeah, the art is fantastic. Just out the gate. Just like, and like, I love all the dossiers and everything like that going on. This is a really long issue. This is like over 50 pages, which yeah. Yeah. most comic books are like 19 pages, 22 pages, somewhere in that range. So this is like double and a half. This is a big one. Graphic novel. Yeah, it's really big. And there's a lot going back and checking things to see what's going on. There's a lot of information going on because it spans quite a bit of time, too. It's definitely a Jonathan Hickman book. He's laying oh, yeah. out a, a world that spans time and characters and is complex. There's yeah. diagrams in everything. Yes. He, always, he loves his diagrams. He loves his symbols. Because in East and West, there's tons of symbols as well for yeah. all the different, you know. Seven with a dash of, of Death Eaters. And then I also came up today with something else. What is it? The Da Vinci Code? Reminds me a lot Even of that. Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's got, well, it's got the, Wall um, Street. I'm thinking of the Da Vinci Code as part of like the Robert Langdon where he's like the symbols guy and there's all symbols and stuff. And he, what's the weird religious culty kind of thing that he's like going against? Because that almost kind of reminds me a little bit about how these guys. The Catholic Church. <laughs> Opus Dei. Yes, that's it. Which is a real world organization. Yes. yes. Also, a little bit of our clean room, kind of, we have all these levels and crazy-ass shit. The description of what the people are. Who would ever volunteer to be the stone chair? Well, that's the point, is you have yeah. to rotate through the stone yeah. chair. Yes. But there's a price for... For the power. That's like the worst position. You're like, man! They should just call it meat sack. Jonathan Hickman is building a, a world here. Like, that's one thing with, like, East of West, when you read it. You're like, man, this is really good, but I'm really lost. Yes. So I'm, I'm telling you right now, if you're listening to this, buy this book right now and start reading it because it's going to be amazing and you need to read it from issue one. Yeah. They got four positions here, right? They have the watcher, the ascendant seat, the scales, mm-hmm. and the stone chair. The stone chair is the altar. Yeah. yeah. It's the person who has to die when Mammon demands his price. 
And that's basically the scene that it opens up with, if, and that's how you figure out what that is. Dead bodies with all sorts of symbols. That's like when he's like coughing all the blood. He's like, it's blood, but it's not my own. Oh, never mind. Really interesting, the detective. Yes. I find him fascinating because he has obviously some sort of voodoo connection. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's when he says, uh, well, Papa, help me. I think yeah. he's talking to Papa Leg. I also got a little bit of the other comic book that we like. Yes. Limbo. That's very interesting. It also reminded me a lot of, at least the, with the detective part, him going to that scene. If you ever read the very first Harry Dresden books, which I know Ryan doesn't care for, but there's a scene where he's in a room where they found a body and he's describing it, and it totally looked like that scene to me, almost. I like the detective's aesthetic. He really felt like he and Morgan Freeman from Seven could totally go shopping together. Exactly. <laughs> But he also kind of looked like the detective from I, the iZombie TV show. Like, he looked like that actor. Like, he was drawn. Sure. Like- so I don't think we've actually even talked about the plot yet of what's going on no. here. It is awesome. In the financial world, which is the world that I work in, actually the mortgage industry, and 2007 was a very, very bad year in October. There's a nice chart that's laid out in here about the horrible things that have happened in the financial industry in multiple years. And it always is in October, which is very interesting. The Black Monday Murders is an actual story of people jumping out of buildings and killing themselves because the stock market fell. But there's a nice twist in there. I love that thing where they talk about things not being factual, but being said enough times. Yes. Right. A lie that gets repeated. That is so part of the pop culture aesthetic. Like we all know it. And most of them aren't really true. Yeah. This is almost giving you an inside look from their point of view as to what really happened because they're saying murders happened. But it seems that they're more of a unique way of happening. See, we even see in here there's people getting defenestrated. Nice, nice word. word. <laughs> Thank you. If you could ever drop that word in any conversation, that is the best word. And also jinx, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> For those who don't know, defenestration is the act of throwing somebody out of a window or pushing somebody out of a window. Any sort of out of the window. Mm-hmm. Best word ever. So I really liked the scene where they had the murder where they went into the apartments. Mm-hmm. There's so many things going on here. You've got that really awesome like ritual murder. The person bled like a slaughter animal and then mm-hmm. tied up with all these ropes hanging from the ceiling that actually forms like the detective's able to figure out a clock so you get to see he's a really yep. good detective. And then he yells at all the other detectives for being so terrible. <laughs> like working in the financial sector and not knowing immediately when they see the body who it is like don't you even know the most important people on your beat really striking visuals really good writing gave you some strong insights we can tell the detective is very very detail oriented and he even describes the things in the room like he knows these are all how he describes the clock thing which really cool he's like he calls out three glasses the six candles normally you may just look at those as being objects you're not even thinking that's just oh pieces of the rooms he's got something he knows some shit figures out that each of those objects put at the four corners of this ritual sacrifice form a, a clock you know there's like candles like six candles nine books 12 chess pieces and the guy the way that he's rigged up his arms are like the arms of a clock and it's pointing mm-hmm. at a certain time so he's like all right everybody get the hell out we'll come back at eight o'clock Yep, <laughs> because yeah. that's what this is telling us to do. And then, like, symbols all mean, because they keep re- showing up over and over again. Yeah, we see a lot of symbols. And we see people speaking in symbols, which is really interesting as well. Obviously, they're mm-hmm. casting something. I think that's is... when they're using, like, magic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When that one person is in the lecture and there's the girl who's asking the right questions. 
Mm -hmm. And he gives her the coin and says something to her. I think that's him choosing her for something. Yeah, I thought that too. I love the art style where they have that creepy pale white woman who doesn't say anything, just kind of stands in the background. Mm -hmm. But I think clearly is a servant of Mammon because she whips out with some crazy demon shit and says some weird stuff, you know, every once in a while. Like, I don't even know if other people can see her. Like, is she a ghost and only the servants of Mammon can see her or is she, but she is freaky. But then the later on, the one descendant in the limo looks very similar to her, but it's not the same. Yeah, she's part of the line. She's a sibling of the guy who just who just died. It's very visually striking. It's strong writing. It's creepy as hell. There's a really complex world. You can tell Hickman did a lot of research on every the truth page. You know, this is debunked. Yeah. Oh, this happened. The Churchill one where mm-hmm. the window washer so a window washer it wasn't somebody dropping from the top of the building those kind of things were fun there's gonna be a lot of things that are gonna be tied into this the one where it says that mark twain said this quote and then afterwards it's like something yeah. about you know how falsehoods go around before truth can ever get its pants a lie on. can get halfway around the world before the truth can put its pants on mm-hmm. but then it said but then that was actually that wasn't him that said that and so i was like that's cute I really like all the little dossiers and stuff that, that are in there. I gave it four and a half. I'll buy it for $74 a share. I will give it four and three quarter stone chairs. I will give it five all hail God mammon. Yes. Book is awesome. Book is awesome. I feel like this is going to end up being like one of the really good ones at Clean Room where it's super, super creepy, but it's super, super intelligent. This is amazing. Don't let the four ninety nine price throw you no, off. You're totally going to get it's several issues worth of books here, and it's amazing. You, you need your to buy this work. book. You need to read it. Can I also tell you that since I have the actual hard copy of it, it is gorgeous. The front cover is gorgeous in black and white. It's very nice to hold in your hand. The artwork is gorgeous. gorgeous. It's even good for like multiple reads because you have to do like a read through. Yeah, I had to read it twice, and I kind of because the first time I kind of I just read it all through just the writing, and then I went back and read all the extra pages, yeah. like the, all the charts and graphs and extra information. It's so much. And this is yeah. exactly what he does, which is awesome. Empress, issue number five. Icon Comics, written by Mark Millar. Pencils by Stuart Imo- Stuart. Stuart. What? Immoman? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Inks, by Wayne, inks by Wayne Von Graubadger. Colors by, is that Ivy Servinka? Is that Ive or Ivy? So Dane and the Empress and the ship with the little guy who controls ship yes. are, they got separated. And one of them, they're trying to escape the natives right. that want to sacrifice. Okay. And then the kids are still with the people who kidnapped them. Gotcha. So they're trying to get the kids. Yes. Okay. So they're each trying to rescue each other. <laughs> That's like a slapstick. <laughs> What's that story? Is it the menagerie or whatever? The one where they the person's like, oh, they buy yes. the brush and the... Yeah. And the evil emperor who looks like a red Thanos is still trying to get them and basically destroying people as he goes. <laughs> the Kali Ma dude is the one who's trying to sacrifice them. Awesome. Yeah, so the emperor is, is executing everyone who's seen them and let them leave, you know, to, to drive home the point that you, if you see them and you don't stop them, you will die. Yeah. He's pretty bloodthirsty here. I was surprised. Like, wow, that is a lot of people he just destroyed. <laughs> Say how much of a psychopath and evil he is, but he loves his children. So you saw the son be useful before, but the daughter actually was useful this time. And she's like, wow, she's a little badass. 
I'm really yeah. liking that each character is getting kind of their own moments of being badass and developing like as, as characters. In the Sundus again, she's like, no, you just left us in here with a workshop. And they're like, oh crap, and he just blows them away. It kind of reminds me of that Rorschach where he's like, uh, I'm not locked in here with you, you're locked in oh, here with yeah. me. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know? And he's like, you locked me in a, you didn't lock me in a prison, you locked me in a workshop. Yeah. Which kind of ties back to the whole thing he was saying before that there's like, there's no such thing as junk. junk. There's only things that people don't know how to use. He's kind of a human rocket in a way. Yeah. So he builds this gigantic laser cannon thing that looks awesome. Like a garbage and that, dump, basically. And then she stands in the baby. She's like, it's my turn. And then she like beats the crap out of them. Well, and she's like, I'm the daughter of the emperor. Did you ever think you stood a chance? This still continues to be like, I can see this as a motion picture. It has the pacing. It has the interest of the characters. It would be an epic space opera. It has a very Star Wars feel to it. Like it, it could be a side Star Wars story. It reminds me of Buck Rogers a lot. Yeah. yeah, I can see that. Them trying to sacrifice them to the native god, ship and all, was amazing. And Dane's just like, hold on, we need shield, shield, shield. And then he gets the little wires together. He's like, oh, it worked. And then the god, yeah, the Kali Ma guy's like, no. Mark Miller writes the most filmable stuff, for good or bad, whether you think that's a, a good trait or a bad trait for comics. He's written so many books that have been turned into movies, and all pretty good movies, I, I would have to say. So Enjoyable. I think this is absolutely going to get turned into a movie. I know the Time Traveling Dude Bros one he wrote. Oh, I think I already got that picked one. up for, was it a TV show or a movie? I don't know. I thought it was a movie. But I know it got picked up for something, so this will inevitably get picked up and probably get filmed and be epic. Space yeah. And epic. I actually like this one better than the last few issues. This one, I actually had a lot more action and comedy. And like, I felt like it really showcased the characters a lot better and their personalities and what they can do. Because I really thought the daughter was just a whiny, you made us leave dad pouting kind of teenager. And she actually is useful. Yeah, she's pretty much a badass. I really like the fact that they're each trying to that they each break out of the prison that they're in to go find rescue the other person from the prison they're in. So they're going to totally miss each other. I like that. I think that's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. It's very cinematic and entertaining. Gave it four Kalimas. God damn it. Everyone's taking everyone's <laughs> ratings. Son of a bitch. I will give it three and a half dick-wielding badasses. Three and a half locked in a workshop. So I'm taking us over to DC for Detective Comics number 938 by DC Comics. Rise of the Batman Part 5. Written by James Tinney and the Fourth, pencils by Alvaro Martinez, inks by Raul Fernandez, colors by Brad Anderson. So this one, this Detective Comics, really is a Batwoman comic. It's her with her team of people, and Batman is in this, but he's kind of a side character for this. They have come to confront the military group. That it's got some flashbacks where you see her with her dad after her mother uh, has died. So very similar to, to Batman, they parallel each other in that way. They're both both, you know, wealthy from respected families, trauma from their the death of their one of their parents has kind of led them down this path where her her dad finds her when she's a little girl and she tells him she wants the the pain, you know, to stop, but she doesn't know what to do. So if he tells her what to do, she'll do it. You know, tells her that he's kind of dedicated to giving her the best life possible. And he asks her, you know, what kind of life do you want? And that's where she tells him that she wants to be a soldier just like you. That's kind of where you see her training begin. So now, though, it's come full 
full circle and the way that he has he set up this whole thing with the Batman to find Ra's al Ghul's League of Shadows and kill everyone in Gotham who's a sleeper agent for the League of Shadows. But Batman is telling them that that's bullshit, that Ra's al Ghul has always said this, but it's not true. That it just is a way that he can claim responsibility for like every bad terrorist activity that happens. He just has to claim that, oh, the person who did it is one of my sleeper agents. Actually, very similar to the way that ISIS works with people claiming allegiance to the group without having actually any formal allegiance to them. So I think that's kind of a timely little tie-in here. So they're assaulting this lair where this Batman army is, and they're all just kicking ass. And I like that you kind of get to see each of the little trainees doing some really awesome stuff. So you've got Clayface in there just smashing the hell out of people and like transforming into devices they need. And it's kind of cool. And then there's also this really nice scene I like where they have Orphan, the girl in the black uh, who doesn't speak. So she's the most dangerous fighter of them. Batman says she's the most dangerous. So she goes up this elevator to find like these, to fight all these guards, you know, and the door opens and they're like, huh, they just sent you to fight all of us. And it just ends with her like saying yes. And then you cut back later to them fighting like hell to get up to her to save her because she's outnumbered. And it just like opens up into the hallway where she had the fight and they're all just totally laid out. Like she took them all out, which is, which is kind of cool. And then you've got my favorite Robin confronting this like evil hacker person who has found all the people in Gotham that are these sleeper agents supposedly for the League of Shadows and they have some confrontation you know he's able to hack into their information and, and get all the stuff and then you also have spoiler who hacks into the thing and turns on all the weapons the Batman have so all their grenades are set to arm so they cause like all these explosions and stuff which is pretty cool so I like seeing the team come together and fight. And I also, I like that kind of the looping back where you see Batwoman and her father, that they each were trying to create a world that the other one wanted, but they've gone about it in these like completely different ways. She has to now confront her father over what he's doing, that they're, what they've done is they've got this list of people from the League of Shadows and they're going through it to try and like identify who's actually a member of the League of Shadows and who's not. Because like the list they has is really large. You know, it's like a suspect list. It's not a list of people they necessarily think are guilty. And this computer genius guy has built these little bat drones to go out and assassinate everyone and they've activated them and they're basically saying that it's acceptable losses so now they're gonna have this batman team is going to have to go out and find these drones before they start killing people so it's it's interesting i i like it i like the team dynamics i like that each person gets their moment to shine i liked clayface yeah that's so funny that's exactly what i was gonna say He's like the Groot or the Hulk uh, character in this, and it's kind of cute. I was like, oh my god, look at Clayface! That's exactly what I thought reading this. He's cool. High five, Christina. I know, seriously. It's funny because when I saw that, I was like, aww. Yeah, it's pretty much that was like the only thing I was really interested in while reading it. Clayface is so cute. You didn't like Orphan taking out all those people by herself? That was pretty or... cool. I don't know. Or- I'm not familiar with Orphan, but that's... I like the hacker, though. He was wearing the Batman shirt. But no, seriously, Clayface stole it for me. Yeah. But honestly, I could really I could give like two fucks about Batwoman. She looks I cool. am not a huge Batwoman fan either. I was actually earlier today, what I was thinking, Christina, is I know who needs to write Batwoman when they give her own title. Uh-huh. And I'll give you one guess uh-huh. as to who I think that should be. Uh-huh. I don't know why it hasn't happened yet. It's got to be Marguerite. Because she's a lesbian. Gotta be Marguerite Bennett. She needs to write Batwoman. Absolutely. Batwoman actually oh, a lesbian? She cool. Yes. She's like a special forces person who was basically kicked out of the military for like a, like a don't ask, don't tell yeah. kind of thing. So seems right up Marguerite Bennett's uh, alley. So. Well, that'd be sexy time in it. Then. And then I would read it. <laughs> 
Well, she has a, I don't know if you guys remember from like Batman, the animated series or other Batman things, but that's probably the one you will recognize her from is uh, Detective Montoya, the female detective oh. who works with Pollock. Yeah. Uh, she and Batwoman are uh, like an estranged couple. Oh. So. Oh, I know who that, yeah. oh, I know who that is. Now, a lot of my Batman education came from the cartoons originally. Uh, yeah. That's why I went for the reference that I thought you guys would Yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so. that is exactly where most of my Batman knowledge is from. So I, I actually chose this one because, I mean, I mentioned it last week, is they're gearing up for the Monster Men mm-hmm. are coming. So I wanted to kind of keep in the, the Bat universe here a little bit. There actually were other DC books I read that were as good or better. You know, we only get two. This was my choice. Well, we like the Clayface. Yes. Clayface was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I think I will give three and a half bat drones gave it three clay faces i will give it three and a quarter we need a bridge i think Clayface is a bright star in this book like he was hilarious in the first one <laughs> where they were all doing all their like batman swinging from like gargoyles and stuff and he just is kind of left on the roof looking at them like how am i supposed to do that <laughs> he's a nice little bit of comic relief in the you know batman can get kind of heavy sometimes so yeah more Clayface. Yeah. more Clayface. ride or die where are we going yeah okay so um my next pick is sons of anarchy redwood original number one by boom studios written by ollie masters art by luca Pizarri and colors by Adam Metcalf. So I try to mix it up and pick things that we don't normally pick sometimes. They're not all winners, but I do like Sons of Anarchy. Winners. <laughs> I like Sons of Anarchy too. I'm a huge Sons of Anarchy fan. I am not a huge fan of this comic though. <laughs> A quick synopsis is this takes place, it starts with Tara leaving for college. So we've all heard that point reference before. We know that she left and her and Jack grew apart and then they reunite in the series that we all know and love. And so this is basically the story of the club and Jack's from that point. The artwork is not great. I actually I have a couple things to say about the artwork. <laughs> Some of the close-ups on people's faces are good. Like, I really like how Chibs and Bobby look. I think they actually look pretty damn good. But Chibs is also very distinct, I think. So he's kind of, I think, might be easier to draw in that regards. So they have the weird paper color that is very akin to what Hip Hop Family Tree is doing. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to take place in, like, the late 70s, early 80s kind of, like, time. So them trying to mimic that, they might be trying to go for that old feel. And the artwork style, the drawing style... I'm not sure if I'm giving them too much credit by saying that, but I think that maybe they were trying to draw on that old art style, like something akin to Hip Hop Family Tree, but not quite nailing it. Like they're trying to give it that kind of retro feel because it's an old, it's a flashback kind of, it's not really a flashback story, but an origin-ish like story. I like the idea of learning more about the history of that story. That is one reason why I thought I'd give this a try. It's not, like I said, it's not great, but the artwork is one thing that really got me. One aspect that I did think that was really interesting, there was a scene where Opie is talking to his dad and is saying, no, you need to go to college. I don't want you in the club. And I find that really interesting because, you know, Opie was in the club and his dad was a founding. Spoiler, if you never watched the series, bad things happen to Opie. And so (laughs) wouldn't it have been interesting if he never did join? So to see how he actually gets pulled into the club, I actually do find that interesting. I don't know if it's enough for me to keep reading the comment yeah what a steaming sack of shit (laughs) first of all that cover is probably one of the worst covers i've ever seen in my life um and it's actually not that indicative of the artwork inside but like the way that they make Gemma look on that cover is horrendous is that supposed to be katie seagal yes 
Oh. Does that look like Katie Seagal to you in no. any fucking way? No. His hatchet faced, horrible. But to be fair, a lot of the chicks in that, their faces, a lot of characters get some hatchet jobs in this comic. The artwork. The art is, you know, in all honesty, once you actually get inside the book, significantly better than the cover is, except for women. Women in this book are drawn terrible. And I don't know what it is about some artists who just can't draw women's faces. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but none of the women in this book look right. The story is, is decent. I don't know that it's a story that I needed or wanted. I was pretty satisfied with Sons of Anarchy. You know, I thought it told a complete story. Didn't really leave me with any questions or gaps that I wanted filled out. So, you know, the writing on this is very serviceable. It's very workman workmanlike. The art's pretty, again, pretty unspectacular. It's just a kind of a bad version of something I didn't want. And that cover is a crime against comics. It, it's bad. <laughs> So, yeah. uh, overall, I was I was not happy with this one. I mentioned the parts that I thought were best I could give it. Those are the points that, if you wanted to hear what I think that are the highlights, the rest of it, just kind of, yeah, that work's not that great. I mean, they nail the characters. They do what the club does. I mean, it's they're on point for that, but... Yeah, it's competently told, and, yeah. you know, I can tell who every character is supposed to be. It's just not good. It's not winning any prizes. <laughs> for sure. I gave it to... I already have Tig. I don't need you pulling that BS too. I will give it one and a half motorcycle helmets to the face. Oh yeah, that was a good move. <laughs> that, that was the part that I thought I actually liked a little. Riding out of here. Haven't we had this issue though with Boom before? So IDW usually does a lot of like licensed stuff. With IDW. Boom has done decent, yeah. decent work. You know, they're not a bad place. I don't remember who did the Back to the Future one. I think that was IDW. I think. But Boom's done like Klaus. They've done some other you know, they've done some stuff that's not bad. This is clearly a case of a licensed property that will sell because of the licensed property. Like, they didn't try too hard. They're uh-huh. like, put anybody on it. Right. Have them write anything that vaguely has to do with the show. Just give them the Cliff Notes version of the show. They don't need to actually watch the show or anything. And yeah. we'll, we'll sell enough copies to make it worthwhile. I heard that they're gearing up potentially to do another Sons of Anarchy series. Uh-huh. For the Mayans, which would be amazing. So they're probably trying to, you know, it's been a couple of years since it's been off the air. So let's start kicking up some interest in it. So actually, Christina, I was really surprised and happy to see you pick this next one, getting on board with Tom King. Well, I love the vision. For whatever reason, I, which just makes me sound like a horrible person, I like the cold kind of cold callous attitude or it's not even attitude his programming yeah i I think it lets him do a lot of social commentary the vision issue number 10 marvel comics written by tom king art by gabriel hernandez walta colors by jordi berlair who's awesome this is a very very depressing comic their son was killed you open up to the vision just sitting there clicking the lighter on and off on and off even though they don't necessarily have feelings i guess is it just thought that are i don't know if it's in this or one of the avengers ones it's kind of interesting because he talks about that he has i guess they have feelings. well he talks about how he has feelings but he can download them i think this was in one of the avengers books that came out this week but he can like download them mm-hmm. into this like crystal thing so that he can then make decisions purely analytically oh yeah that's that's in yeah. one of the avengers books where he's going after kang kang the conqueror he's okay. gonna go and like do something to him when he's a baby Oh, okay. So, yeah, they do have emotions. Because, I mean, they obviously do because they have that 
sadness. I mean, the mom has sadness because they their son is gone, and she's like, it's interesting because it's like she's like almost trying to negotiate with him, like how can you bring him back? And he's like, I can't do that. And she's like, I know. It's it's really sad. Like the commentary between the two of them because they're obviously two, and they're not even people, but they're two people who are very sad at a loss. It's not even a son that she even had, but it's obviously that he made. Uh-huh. Yeah, he made all of them. It's really interesting. And then their poor daughter who's still like I thought that up. was an amazing scene <laughs> with the, the daughter. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. This is really, really emotional. Yeah, this issue is up. messed up. I like when they I mean like repeat stuff. It's almost like it's like that where you have like no words for what's happening. And also right. that their their programming is falling apart. That they can't you know, they're cracking under this, just like anyone would after the loss of a, a child. Yeah. The very, very end where he breaks out of the house, that's rage. He's feeling that's got to be rage. I mean, he's so angry about what happened, and he breaks out of the house. He's gonna go get Victor. Yeah, Victor. talks about it that he's analyzed it. You know, he's went through it all, loaded all the data points, and yeah. ran it, every belief system, every religion, and there's no way that yeah. this is just. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of like trails off, he, basically saying that he can't bring his son back, not which obviously is revenge, vengeance to go and kill his son's murderer. Yeah. The very beginning and the very end, there are no words. It is all images. The last one of him pulls out his eyeball and like has like a, almost like a recording of his oh, son, Oh, that I was guess. so heartbreaking. Because she was like, he recorded it, but he was never really paying attention at the time. I'm like, if this was our pick of the week for that scene, it would have to be Cats in the Cradle. Those moments where the person just, you know, the kid just wants your attention, which all kids do. Yeah. But you don't have time for them. You know, now when he, you know, can never go back and get that time back again. So it's it's heartbreaking. Yeah. The last several panels, I mean, the beginning and the end are very dialogue less except for the last panel where he's basically calling out what his plan is that scene we talked to the daughter his daughter hasn't done Mm -hmm. her homework yet so he's going to check on her and he finds her praying you know is kind of surprised by this yeah her prayers are so weird it's like a computer program where it's like if then state Mm -hmm. yeah it's like i do not know if god exists i do not know if there's a god it seems unlikely she knows that what she's praying to is not necessarily real but she knows that praying is a thing that you do and i mean she says it's unlike she doesn't say it's impossible there's a right. I don't know, 0.1% chance or whatever, you know, her calculation is. Right. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. like the second condition for the prayer is do robots have souls? And again, it seems unlikely. Oh, but yeah. So if condition one is satisfied, there is a God. Condition two is satisfied. Mm-hmm. Robots have souls. Please let my brother's soul rest. And I was like, oh man, right. that's the way that she breaks it down is very interesting. That is very much like code. Yes. Very, yeah. very much like code, like writing code. It's an if then statement. Exactly. And they have her and the Vision praying together, you know, showing all these shots of, like, the family life. You know, they're trapped inside this house arrest that Tony Stark has built around them. And the Vision figures out that there's this lighter that Captain America gave him that's made of vibranium. And he figures that mm-hmm. if he pushes basically the lighter through the, like, energy field, that the lighter is strong enough to, you know, to break through because it's, it's vibranium. It's, like, the same thing that Captain America's shield is. So he uses that. Yep. And then there's that really cool image of, like, the lighter all, like, burned and twisted from getting through Uh Mm -hmm. and then it's it's murder time it's go time (laughs) it's go time it's murder murder o'clock murder bot murder 30 really really well done for the lack of dialogue especially in the beginning him sitting there just clicking the lighter off and on like i don't know if that was taken out of that was the beginning or that was just kind of the middle like that might not have been the beginning of the story that might have been him contemplating what he's gonna do yeah i mean he knows how to have weighty silence how to have panels that Mm -hmm. although there are no words have a ton of weight to them and the dog is cute i love the dog 
That creeps me out. Yeah, I love the dog. <laughs> it's good. Um, it's hard to explain to yeah. somebody what this is like because it's not like another in a normal superhero book at all. It's like this kind of like no. deconstruction of suburban life and what it means to be human. And it's asking those classic science fiction questions that you always have a character in a science fiction story who's not quite human but wants to try and be human. So you've got Spock mm-hmm. from Star Trek or mm. these classic ways to ask those questions. And I think this is definitely in that mold. I think of Blade Runner as well. Yeah. It's a lot of that. This one's a really good one. I thought this was the end of the series, but obviously it's not. Because wasn't this supposed to be a limited? I think that this one will go a couple more issues, but then I think it's probably going to end because I think Tom King is now the writer for Batman. So I don't know if he's exclusive with DC or not. I I think he is exclusive, but he's allowed to finish this. Poor Macho. And I also thought this was kind of an interesting, I mean, it's not a Civil War tie-in, but thematically this ties in so strongly with Civil War with the idea of by trying Mm -hmm. to stop something, you've created the situation. Mm-hmm. Agatha, right. who's, you know, the Scarlet Witch's ghost mentor lady, had a vision that mm-hmm. the vision was going to go and kill everybody. So they sent Victor to go watch right. him and see what was going on. And that caused him to kill his son, which is now him going to go kill everyone because of that. All the other ones have been really, really good. But I thought this one was an amazing show of emotion where there shouldn't be emotion, which was really, really fascinating. I'm going to get four and a half lighters. That's exactly what I was going to use. I know, I know. I was going to totally right. screw everyone, but... I gave it three eye projections. That was my next one! Damn oh. it! <laughs> <laughs> we have just yes, screwed you! Yes, <laughs> I will give it four and a half if-then statement prayers. I have a book from DC that I am very surprised that I am continuing to pick. And I love this book, and I did not expect it, which is The Flintstones, Me number too. two, from DC Comics, Buyer Beware, written by Mark Russell, art by Steve Puh? Pug? I'm not sure how you say that last name. Colors by Chris Chukri. So I am amazed that The Flintstones is one of the darkest, most insightful bits of satire that I have read in a very long time. Like This is, if you like that kind of thing, which I clearly do, is going to be amazing. If you like puns, this is chock full of puns. That's the basis oh. for all their humor. Yes. All Which is what the original you know, original series was. But then it goes into some really dark places and commentary with this. So this is basically the story of the invention of crap that people need to, to buy and have. Because <laughs> they, they used to be like hunter-gatherers, so their needs were very simple. And now they've invented stores where you can go and buy crap that you don't need that lets you show other people that you're like not a loser. So it's kind of a commentary on like commercialism and, and all of that. So I thought that was really, really interesting There's also this part that I found hilarious where the Flintstones are trying to sell vitamins to people, (laughs) which if you were a kid in like the 80s, you know Flintstone vitamins. And it's also, there's been like a lot of lawsuits and scandals with kind of these like pyramid schemes where people are trying to sell like supplements. So I thought it was kind of tying into that. You have Fred going around, he can't sell the vitamins to anyone, but Barney is using his son, who's super strong, to do his like feats of strength while he's claiming it's all from the vitamins. So I thought that was pretty funny. The art on this is really great. I really like the arts. I think that the panels are full of so many little jokes or gags like in the background that it's worth your time to go through this kind of slowly and take a look around. It's just, it's really dark. It's so much darker than I thought it was. I almost wonder, I'm like, do the people at DC actually read this book or is this flying so far under the radar that they don't know what they're (laughs) doing with their characters? Because I have a feeling this is not the tone that Hanna-Barbera would probably want for the Flintstones. 
Flintstones, but it's awesome. This feels like the Adult Swim version of the Flintstones. Yeah, this is not for kids. The invention of television is in this. So they have the first televised newscast. And they're like, you know, in breaking news today, someone's skull got bashed in with a rock. We have footage. They're like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have shown you that. But it's our first day. And they also have like some religious commentary here that we'll get to in a second. But I, I love the weed eater that he has. That's the goat. It's like tied to a mm-hmm. stick. Power goat. goat. <laughs> well, what the hell is this power goat business? I'm like, what the fuck? The goat says that? It's the whole yeah. yard, you see right? that? Talking to you is biznatch. Yeah. Yeah. He says biznatch. I was like, what yeah. the That's fuck? what I'm saying. This book goes places and does things that you don't expect from like a DC like licensed book. It's dark. Power goat's awesome. <laughs> but is power goat like when they like Pokemon, yeah. they can only say their name? Because he keeps going, you know, power goat. Power goat? <laughs> Reminds me of like a commercial for like power goat. Like an energy drink kind of thing, you know, so, like that same tone. Power goat. So there was something really interesting on the church, how there's like these phrases underneath them. You can't enter heaven unless Morp enters right. you is one of them. <laughs> anybody catch the one about the teaches of yes. teaches? And does anybody know the song yeah. that I'm referring to for that? I laughed out loud when I saw that. I was like, oh dear God. Very surprised. I was like, I wasn't expecting that. They have this whole dark and insightful sequence with the religion thing that ties into kind of the crap too. So they go to the church of Morp. They've got a recording of Morp. So they get to actually hear, you know, the voice of God. And when they do, it's like this terrible mm-hmm. record. So they're like, well, we're obviously not going to worship that. So then they come back like the next <laughs> week and there's this adorable little pink elephant. And he's super cute and everybody loves him. So cute. His name is Peaches. Peaches uh-huh. the vacuum. So then uh, Wilma realizes when she goes home that she's like, oh, Fred, we're worshiping a vacuum cleaner. They take mm-hmm. him back to exchange him at the store. Oh, it's so fucked up. So they he brings the, the animal that the appliance that he's going to exchange. And he's like, I'd like to exchange this. Give me some like appliance food in exchange. So they basically take the thing he exchanges into the back and murder it and throw it in a sack of like bloody meat with like the blood still dripping from it Yeah. to feed to the other one. That's also where he tries to return the octopus, but it only has like seven arms. So they'll only give him store credit for it. Mm-hmm. And that's where he finds Dino, who doesn't do anything, which is why Fred wants him because he's kind of worried about all these like animal machine things that are doing everything for them so he likes that this doesn't do anything and he's so super adorable <laughs> i kind of like that dino's the yeah. only thing that didn't get stylized really yeah he still, yeah, still looks like dino. dino book is a surprise and a joy to me i love this book i love pebbles look with her hair on her face i was like i like how pebbles look and betty's pretty hot this is exactly the adult swim version this is like the stonerific version of flintstones this is like the venture brothers versus scooby-doo kind of thing weird 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 not saying that i didn't like it it just <laughs> definitely is it's not what you expect it to be so if you if you're passing it by in the shop and no. be like i don't want to read a flintstones comic trust me you do want to read this flintstones comic <laughs> either one or issue one or issue two they don't really tie into each you know they're separate from each other and they're both fantastic so i think it's really interesting because i a lot of like in the old days they say like homer simpson and even like peter griffin are in some way inspired by fred flintstone oh that wouldn't surprise me at all i think it's interesting how it's almost like a full circle where they're going back and redoing this and now this comic kind of has that satire feel that the Simpsons and Family Guy represent mm-hmm. and so it's interesting to see that kind of like play out like that. Four and a half more has to enter you. I gave it three peaches. Oh, but it has to be peaches two peaches of peaches. peaches. <laughs> 
<laughs> I will give it three and a quarter useless dinos. I also forgot to mention with the religion thing that then they finally come up with the idea that, you know, kind of like no matter what they pick to represent their god, that there's going to be some flaw with it. So they kind of bring out, and this reminded me a little bit of Clint Eastwood at the Republican convention last time, they bring out an empty chair and the chair has the invisible god sitting on it. So, you know, they can't actually criticize the god because they can't see it and like point out its flaws. So I thought that was an interesting little idea of the evolution there. Because like if you see the church is called the First Church of Animism, and now they've invented a non, non-corporal non god. Next pick is Star Wars, Darth Vader, number 24, Marvel Comics, book four, part five, End of Games, written by Kieran Gillian, art by Salvador La Roca, and colors by Edgar Delgado. So last where we leave off, Vader has been disabled by basically a garage door opener. <laughs> And it's sitting there, and we're just like, yeah, right, he's not, you know, that's, that's not possible, he's, he's, he's playing possum, which, it didn't go exactly how I thought or preferred it would have gone, so there's like this sequence of flashbacks of him on Mustafar, where his fight with Obi-Wan and, and his confrontation with Padme, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the prequels. And why the hell are you reading this comic? I know, exactly, right? But just in case, because someone might get a hair up their ass. You never know. Nerds. So it's a bunch of flashbacks with that, and basically the overwhelming emotion of these scenes. Break him free! And he, you know, lays waste to the person who tried, who thought he had him under control. I personally was hoping he was just gonna force move his lightsaber through the guy, but that was just me. I thought the flashbacks were really interesting. No, they were interesting. I just wasn't what I was envisioning. It was also a, a painful reminder of the prequel. Yes, it was interesting, but I don't think it was nearly as badass. I, I wanted to see him like, no, I'm so cool in the force, I'll kill you yeah. even disabled, you know, or something, right? Yep. Not the whole Padme, and he's breaking out of the thing again. That was unnecessary. Yes. Yeah. Though the flashbacks are beautifully drawn. They look like those characters. It looks nice. It's about a hundred times better and more interesting than the prequels. It's definitely interesting. My favorite part of this issue is Dr. Aphra, of course. Oh, yeah. Her her walking... Of no, course. Just, not just of course, because I love the character. Her walking into the Emperor's antechamber. <laughs> I'm like, she's just even more badass! She just doesn't give a fuck. Well, she's out of options, you know? Basically, the gist of the comments is he breaks free after these things they're like how did that happen oh no we're not in control and then it goes to her walking in it felt like a really quick read too this issue it went by really quick i really really liked the the flashback scenes i thought the part where you know after vader emerges from the lava and kills obi-wan and then anakin shows up to confront him about that and they they battle vader whoops the shit out of anakin and then is basically telling him that i killed you you were a child you had to die and he's like i'm very experienced at killing children i was like oh shit yeah that line i'm like ooh. yeah you're a bad man the obi-wan shot of ewan mcgregor is just ewan mcgregor yeah straight up like not even trying to change it a little bit and same with uh what's her bucket it's her absolutely kind of unnerving because at least with some of the other comics like leia is not as exact as carrie fisher still leia leia still cartoon stylized but this is just like straight up her face yeah yeah it's almost like they rotoscoped it over from the movie i was thinking about 
about that, but I think it's just the person is a very yeah. skilled yes. artist. It doesn't actually look rotoscope to me because that was my first thought is they did that. But I think Salvador La Roca is just a really good He's artist. A good artist, yeah. But it is a very distinct scene from that movie where she is crying in pain, wanting to capture yep. that memorable look. And I think this also shows, you know, Vader's conflict mm-hmm. and that he doesn't even realize the full extent of his conflict. This vision is him in his mind, I think, putting it to rest. Yeah. You know, that he's he's dealt with it again. But obviously Luke can still sense, you know, that there's you know, there's still good within yeah. him. It's just hiding. So I'm excited for the next issue because I want to see what Dr. Aphra is getting into. She's going to negotiate some shit. I had a thought watching the Rogue One trailer. Ooh, Rory and I were talking about this too earlier. If we see some lady in like an aviator's hat just wandering in the background with some bots, I will fucking lose my shit. That'd be awesome. Didn't that seem like triple zero to you? In a little the, bit. The a trailer? little bit, yeah. He's like, they say you're a friend. I won't kill you. Yeah, I've heard a little bit about his character, the bot. He is kind of an asshole. Like, mm-hmm. legit. I think if they're not doing those exact characters, they're definitely taking the beat from yeah. that. I gave this four entering the Emperor's room. I will give it four garage clickers. I will give it three and a half duels on Mustafar. I'm taking us back over to DC for All-Star Batman number one from DC Comics. There are two stories in here, actually. My Own Worst Enemy, part one, written by Scott Snyder. Yay. Pencils by John Romita Jr. Inks by Danny Mika. Colors by Dean White. Then the second part of the book is The Cursed Wheel, part one. Also by Scott Snyder. Art by Declan Shalvey, who's amazing. And colors by Jordi Belair. So this one plays with time in its storytelling a lot. You basically have Batman. At first, you don't know really know what's going on. There's this diner with Batman fighting these like D-list or supervillains who are looking for somebody. Um, and there's actually, I, I like in that fight scene where he confronts the the moth guy, and he's like, you know, interesting so fact: awesome. uh, when moths, you know, mature, they actually don't have a mouth anymore, so their only job that was is a to good shut line. up and I die. Like that one. And that's when that he like takes good. a butcher knife and like stabs him to basically nail him to the counter. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> that was pretty cool. So you basically keep cutting back and forth in time. And you find out that Two-Face has, as Harvey Dent, he had built this like computer system to be able to monitor all the crime that was going on in the city and to prevent crime and help us with his DAs type stuff. But now as Two-Face, he's using it to collect dirt on everyone, on crime bosses and regular people and everything. So he's getting really, really powerful. And I guess Batman, this is kind of what occurs off camera. They talk about it, but you don't actually see it. Batman has teamed up with some of the help of the other crime bosses bosses like the Penguin and other people to to take Two-Face down. But he doesn't want to take him to Arkham Asylum because he's connected mm-hmm. to everybody and has blackmail material on everyone. So he's just going to get out of Arkham Asylum in like a week, which frankly, I mean, that's true for every bat villain ever. <laughs> like putting them in Arkham Asylum, it, it doesn't stick. But for whatever reason, Batman doesn't want to do this. And he actually got a message from Harvey, Harvey Dent, not from Two-Face, telling him that he wants Batman to like burn Two-Face out of him, to take him back to some house. I, I don't know what the house is, where something happened that he thinks will like get rid of Two-Face forever. Throws him in the bat plane and is flying across the country or across the state to take him to this place. And Two-Face is there telling him that you know, you're not going to get very far, that someone's going to stop you. Batman basically tells him, well, we're, we're cloaked. No one can, no one knows the codes. No one knows where we're going. You know, no one will be able to stop us. And then Two-Face tells him, secrets, they always get out. Someone knows someone's going to stop. And that's when like this missile gets fired at the bat plane, which Batman is shocked because again, he's, he's cloaked. So he doesn't think anyone can see him. Hits the bat plane. It goes down in the middle of nowhere in this like 
cornfield outside this diner. And that's where the battle begins with all these kind of D-list Batman villains that are trying to take him out. So he's fighting those people in the diner. And Two-Face has offered that whoever takes down the Batman is going to get the fortunes of like the top three crime families in Gotham made to like an anonymous bank account payment. So he's confronting these people and... All the locals basically show up to confront him. And the waitress that he saved earlier shows up and is telling him, you know, I really appreciate what you did. And I'm, I'm really sorry for what's going to happen next. And that's when, you know, all the yokels show up and they start fighting Batman and they actually shoot Batman in the back, which was really interesting. So this is where Batman basically turns into like the predator, right? <laughs> so he gets shot and he goes down in this like cornfield, his ninjutsu training, you know, he's like this ghost in the cornfield that just keeps like grabbing people and pulling them down. And you find that he goes to Harvey and chains him up in the back of like a semi-truck and is now going cross country on a semi-truck. And like the last panel, as you see a gentleman ghost on the back of the truck is another henchman that's going to try and take him down. So this was a really weird Batman story. This is something Scott Snyder has wanted to do. So he's basically going to be doing these stories that take a Batman villain he hasn't got to use and tell a story with them. So that was the My Own Worst Enemy story. The Cursed Wheel one is Batman's has this like computer training program that he uses to train people, his all his bat assistants to condense his lifetime of training into a year of training for them. And there are different like color segments of the wheel that they have to work their way through. And the different bat people have different struggle with some parts of it and really excel in others. And he can kind of tell who they are. Like he has like color codes for them, basically. And this is like a really fucked up story where they go to this. You find these like garment workers have been brutally like murdered. And there's actually one of them who's still alive. So what they're talking about is that they think it's Zaz who's done it where you make these like small incisions in the person so that if they move to try and like stop the bleeding from one of them, they'll tear open the cuts from the other one. Paper cutting them is death. Death by like a thousand cuts, right? And they think only Zaz is precise enough and sadistic enough to do this. And then you actually have like at the end, like one of the people, one of the bodies that thought was like a dead body, she's actually alive and she kind of sits up and is like covered in blood and like screaming. That was kind of creepy. I did not like that last story at all, just because of the the cuts. The cuts got to me. I was like, oh no, that's terrible. It was pretty pretty intense. Any story with Zaz is going to be very, very intense. Like the long Halloween part with Zaz is probably one of my favorite Batman things ever. So this is a, a Batman from Scott Snyder, where he's kind of doing what he wants to do. He's not tied into the regular Batman book. I mean, this is in continuity, but doesn't feel like in continuity to me, in all honesty. It's good. The art's good. The writing's good. I thought the jumping around in time was a little confusing. Like, I, I know what he was trying to do with that, because there was a big reveal yeah. at the end. Which I'm probably not going to spoil. I'm just going to say that, yes, someone who had the codes for Batman has used them. Why he's used them, I don't know yet, but there's betrayals mm-hmm. everywhere. You skipped over my favorite part with, they. all these new Batmans have just have all these super emotional, sad Alfred parts. Those are always what my attention always goes. Him always looking sad, almost crying. So that was my favorite part. Alfred's got a rough time of it in <laughs> the Batman Yeah, universe. sad Alfred. Sad Alfred is always sad. Cut almost forgot it was Scott Snyder for a little bit, but then it gets to the part where the waitress like talks to him and says like you know I'm sorry. That just right there for whatever reason that reminded me of like something horrible in witches. Person who's being nice and good and thanking you and then is going to shoot you. Basically, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. yeah, that's him. That's right. Now I remember. <laughs> you also get to see Batman with a chainsaw, awesome. which is pretty. That pretty was pretty awesome. awesome. I was like, oh, use the chainsaw. Use the chainsaw. There's weird detail in places that don't look like there should be detail, and there's less detail 
where I would think there would be more detail. Mm-hmm. I liked the art in the Cursed Wheel better than my own worst enemy. did like the way that the Cursed Wheel looked. You know, Declan uh, is yeah. amazing, and you've got Jordi Belair coloring it, so... That was awesome. That's pretty spectacular. <laughs> it was awesome for that. Yeah. And you got you get to see him in, like, a fabric warehouse, so you know, like... Yeah. The colorist, like Jordy Blair, is going oh crazy, yeah. you know, drawing all these fabrics, you know. So I ended up giving it three and a half bat chainsaws. I just gave it three, I just wanted to say. I will give it three and a quarter paper cut. Those were the books we read this week. To check out our weekly pull lists and other nerd shenanigans, go <laughs> check out fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page, Four Color Nerds. You can follow us on Twitter or on Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, and on Podcast Addict. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and come on back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading, nerds.